1: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. The trust, representing 70,000 PG&E wildfire victims, reached a nine-figure settlement this week with a group of the utility's former executives and directors. KQED's Dan Brecky reports.
0: As part of the 2020 plan that allowed PG&E to emerge from bankruptcy, the Fire Victim Trust was given the right to pursue several major lawsuits against former company officials and others whose actions are alleged to have contributed to a catastrophic series of wildfires. The idea was that proceeds from the lawsuits could help pay fire victims for their losses. The trust announced it has settled a lawsuit against a group of former PG&E executives, including ex-CEO Geisha Williams for $117 million. The settlement amount will come from liability insurance the company held for its officers and directors. In a statement, the trust said it hopes the settlement will lead PG&E's current management to place a stronger emphasis on safety. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky
1: And just yesterday, Governor Newsom signed a bill that would make wildfire victim trust payments tax-free. <music> Lithium Valley, that's what many are calling Imperial County in the southeastern corner of California. While no lithium is being produced commercially there yet, it is home to one of the world's largest known lithium reserves. And as global and U.S. demand for lithium explodes, with the mineral being a key component for items like electric vehicles and smartphones, the rest of the world is looking to Imperial County as a building block for future production. Environmental reporter Janet Wilson with The Desert Sun has been tracking this story, and she joins us now. Hi, Janet. Hi, how you doing? Good. Thanks for being here. So what makes Imperial County such
2: an important piece of this puzzle in the lithium marketplace? So the California desert, including Imperial Valley, has many natural geographic oddities and wonders. And one of those is in a series of faults off the San Andreas Fault. Long, long time ago, this rich geothermal brine was created uh, about two miles underground. And so oil uh, companies or an oil company first explored it, I think, back in the 1950s didn't strike pay dirt on that. But they did realize this very scalding hot brine could be pumped up to the surface and used for actually much cleaner power plants than uh, coal or gas. So there's about a dozen of these geothermal power plants now huffing and puffing along the southern end of the Salton Sea which is actually the largest water body in California, not Lake Tahoe. (laughs) Um, So they have long pumped this brine waste once they've created steam off of it back underground uh, to replenish the reserve. But they discovered about 10 years ago, folks started realizing that uh, this lithium, this salty mineral in this gritty brine, could actually be a key ingredient. And as you mentioned, all these different products. So it used to be worth pennies on the dollar. Spot prices have just soared largely due to China. And yes, there are now three companies working hard to figure out how to best extract the lithium and potentially some other critical minerals from this soupy hot brine.
1: What about environmental
2: concerns for lithium extraction? So I'm just starting to delve into that. And a colleague is also working with me. For starters, you're not scraping, you're not doing, you know, hard rock mining. So Mm -hmm. you don't have as large of a footprint in terms of habitat. But that said, um, hydrogen sulfide, lead, other potentially dangerous contaminants. Can be and are contained in this brine. So, if any of that gets out into the atmosphere, it could be quite dangerous for um, nearby communities, workers, etc. The developers, the would-be producers, say they've got closed-loop systems that have been perfected over the decades in terms of geothermal extraction, but. You know, there are some releases from these existing power plants in terms of emissions, in terms of air pollution. Is there a timeline
1: on when we might actually see production begin there?
2: One of the company's energy source that has been the most out in front was supposed to finally start construction of a lithium separation facility. They have an existing geothermal brine facility. So the idea is to co-locate these things, to have them right next door to each other. They're supposed to start this month. They've pushed that back to next month. But everybody's saying it's likely at least two years before you have full commercial production of lithium.
1: Do local officials feel like this could be a boom for a region? It sounds like it has a lot of support. But do these local officials have their own concerns about the attention the county might be getting?
2: They are, I would say, ecstatic, ecstatic. Uh, This is a poor county. It has high unemployment. It is largely dependent on farming by uh, by about nearly 400 farmers who depend on Colorado River water, which is we know is fast diminishing. So county officials, the county supervisors uh, have been pushing incredibly hard to get help and attention to kickstart this industry and brought together some pretty interesting coalitions to try and make that happen.
1: That was Janet Wilson, an environmental reporter with the Desert Sun. Janet, thanks for your time this morning. Of course, thank you. I am Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world.
0: I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California
1: California is not expanding unemployment benefits to an estimated one million undocumented workers in the state anytime soon. KQED's labor correspondent Farida Javala Romero explains. The bill Governor Gavin Newsom just vetoed would have created a one-year pilot program offering $300 a week up to 20 weeks to unemployed, undocumented Californians. Undocumented people contribute an estimated $3 billion in state and local taxes each year but are excluded from unemployment insurance benefits. Governor Newsom said the bill needs further work to resolve fiscal concerns, including a dedicated funding source for the benefits. In a statement, the Safety Net for All Coalition said this policy is critical to California's resilience and should be a budget priority. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala-Romero. Flag football is on track to becoming the next official high school sport in California. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has the details.
0: Flag football has been growing in popularity among teenage girls. In the last 10 years, the number of girls playing flag football in U.S. high schools has more than doubled, according to the National Federation of State High School Associations. Jake Jimenez coaches an all-girls team at Redondo Union High School in Redondo Beach. You know, it's not just your run-of-the-mill soccer, basketball, uh, you know, softball that everyone's kind of used to playing. Uh, I, I believe that flag football is a great combination of all of the skills that you learn in all the different sports. Olivia D'Angelo is a member of the team and says it's a different feeling than playing soccer.
1: We all know each other's names. We all talk to each other, play music,
0: have fun. Flag football already is a sanctioned high school girls sport in states including Alabama and Nevada, but California could soon be on that list too. Yesterday, the southern section of the California Interscholastic Federation, which governs high school sports in the state, voted overwhelmingly to recognize flag football as a sport for high school girls. The state CIF is expected to take up the issue early next month, with an official vote likely coming early next year. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi.
1: As the regular season comes to an end, the longest tenured broadcaster in Major League Baseball is getting ready to hang up his mic. Beloved Jaime Harin has been the voice for Spanish-language radio for the Dodgers for more than six decades. Born in Ecuador, Harin moved to the United States in 1955. In 1958, the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles.
3: I feel so blessed to have had the opportunity to reach the homes of those Latino uh, people and, and, and give them uh, baseball. When I am doing a baseball game, I believe that uh, I am not doing only a baseball game. I am not only giving them, relating what's going on on the field, but I am giving them some type of entertainment for the people that work all day long, come home very tired, very hard work day.
1: Harin is one of three Spanish-language broadcasters in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And while he will be leaving the broadcast booth, Harin will remain a part of the Dodger franchise as a community ambassador. And now to a preview of our sister show, the California Report's weekly magazine. This week, an essay from a granddaughter about her beloved grandfather who was a Japanese-American flower farmer in Southern California. Writer Caroline Hatano says when she became an apprentice on a vegetable farm years later, she was reminded how her grandfather, her Ji chan loved to farm sunflowers. His farm had been in Rancho Palos Verdes, a coastal LA suburb straight off a tourism poster, with dramatic rolling hills and cliffs to match. When I talked to my dad, Dwight Hatano, about my G-Chan, we agreed that his passion for farming was always clear. I mean, G-Chan was obviously very proud To be a farmer. I don't think that that was ever really like a question for me growing up. He loved it so much. Yeah. And, you know, Ji Chen, his whole being was, you you don't brag, you don't talk about yourself, but you can tell. Do you love learning about
2: the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book.